Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamar the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamar and saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. Well, we were continuing on our journey through the Old Testament, and we came to this passage in Genesis 34, which is a passage where uh, a young woman has been defiled. And in this message today, I'm going to be talking about women, I'm going to be talking about motherhood, I'm going to be talking incidentally about politics. And in regard to politics, I want you to know that I, as your pastor, am an equal offender. I offend all across the board, <laughs> right wing, left wing, because there are human beings who are involved in our politics. And there are people that are in politics that are making decisions that are bad on both sides of the aisle. And so if you happen to be offended by something that I say about a particular politician or a particular party that you happen to belong to or support or like, know that I'm not trying to offend you directly. I'm trying to relate the biblical passages that talk about the issues that we're dealing with to the politics of the day. Okay? And so if, if you happen to be offended, just wait. The other side will be offended later on in the sermon. <laughs> it's been a number of years since I have heard news reporters and politicians talk about what was dubbed the war on women. This issue was virtually eclipsed by the pandemic and racial issues that have dominated the headlines in recent years. However, with the uh, Supreme Court looking at Roe v. Wade again, this issue has now come to the forefront again. During 2014, the congressional elections, the word war on women became a rallying point for feminists and ultra-liberal female Democrats like Nancy Pelosi and Barbara Boxer. And they were uh, battling against those who held a more conservative view on social issues. These issues included, but are not limited to, re reproductive rights, laws dealing with rape and violence against women, discrimination against women in the workplace, cutting assistance to needy mothers, and opposition to distinguishing between the sexes. As the battle lines were drawn, right-wing Republicans found themselves receiving the full discharge from the cannon of the far left. But those officials in that time were only incidental targets. The main target is revealed in some of the feminist writings of the time. Consider this excerpt from Annie Laurie, uh, Annie Laurie Gaylor. Uh, she's writing for the Freedom From Religion Foundation. 
My mother, Ann Gaylor, in working for the repeal of anti-abortion laws in Wisconsin in the late 60s, soon realized that the true enemy of abortion rights and all women's rights was organized religion. And so those who lead the charge today recognize that the main opponents of their agenda are those who believe that the entire Bible is the inspired word of God to mankind. And so ultimately, they are at war with God himself. And so this begs the question, is God at war with women? One might begin to wonder when they read passages like the one that we just read and multiple other passages that are very troubling in the Old Testament. We see passages like Genesis 19.8 where Lot offers up his daughters to rapists that are coming to beat down the door and rape his male guests. And so in, uh, instead of these guests being raped, he's like, take my daughters and do what you will to them. Also in the time of Israel, in the uh, book of Judges, we see in chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, uh, the recounting of the story of Deborah. At this time in Israel's history, they had what were called judges, and so people would come, and these judges would make rulings over the different decisions that needed to be made. And Deborah was raised up by God as one who the people trusted. In fact, the Bible tells us that she was a prophetess, meaning that she heard directly from the Lord and spoke for the Lord to the people. We see in verse 6, she is talking to Barak, who is the leader of the armies of Israel at that time, and she confronts him with the fact that the Lord has told him to go out and to fight against the Canaanites. And yet he's too afraid to go out, but he says, if you will go with us, then I will go and fight. And here Deborah agrees to go out, but warns Barak that the credit for the battle will go to her, a woman, instead of him. And this situation was seen as shameful, that a woman would receive credit for the victory instead of a man. One passage that makes it clear that it's not God's intention for women to be leading Israel is in Isaiah 3.12. The Lord is lamenting over Israel's disobedience and the state that he has had to place them in as punishment. He says, Youths oppress my people, women rule over them. My people, your guides lead you astray, they turn you from the path. And so on Mother's Day here, we ask the question, is there one standard in God's eyes for women and another standard for men? Has God placed a glass ceiling for women that can only be set aside in times of judgment? And what about all the other places in Scripture that feminists point to about accusations in Scripture about uh, patriarchal propaganda? I'm going to use the Scriptures to show that God is not the real enemy of women. Let's work through the main five issues that are central to the so-called war on women. First of all, the war on women seeks to limit reproductive rights. Now we must understand what those on the left are talking about reproductive rights, they are not talking about a woman's right to reproduce, to reproduce a living human being in the form of a baby. In the context of places like China, where they limit the number of children that women are allowed to have, that might be the case. That would be a war on reproductive rights, the right to reproduce. 
Here in America, they're talking about a woman's right to live a sexually active lifestyle without the consequences of having to bear a child in an unwanted pregnancy. They want the freedom to terminate the life of a human being instead of being forced by law to follow through with reproducing. This distinction clearly shows who is at war with women. God's desire is that a woman should be able to reproduce unhindered within a stable family setting. In fact, he commanded the first family, Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth in Genesis 1.28. And so God is life's biggest proponent. At the opposite end of the spectrum, we see Satan, who wants to kill every human being that is alive today and has ever existed. John 10.10 states that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In fact, demonically controlled religions in the Old Testament had as one of their practices the killing of children. They would sacrifice their sons and daughters to the gods. In fiery furnaces, the god Molech, when they sacrificed the sons to them, they would heat the arms of a statue that was uh, a bronze statue, molten hot, and they would force these toddlers to walk into the arms of this god. And then they would suffocate from all the, the fumes, fall down into the fire, and be destroyed. The second issue that we see here is the war on women seeks to loosely define rape and violence against women. This particular issue is closely related to the abortion issue. Those on the feminist side of the issue claim that Bible-believing Christians are not taking a raped woman's health and well-being into consideration when deciding how federal funding and insurance payouts should be handled in the case of pregnancy from the crime of rape. But the question that we must ask ourselves is, what is God's view on rape? Let's look at the punishment of rapists in Deuteronomy 22:25. But if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed, and the man seizes her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. The death penalty for rape. And I would say considering that punishment, God has commanded in this situation, he's very concerned about rape. He's against rape. But in regards to the modern debate, he's also very concerned about the murder of the innocent. A baby in the womb is not liable for the sin of his or her father, no matter how heinous the crime was. And the logic that a raped woman is somehow going to feel better by murdering the baby within her is completely unscriptural. She will carry the shame of the rape and the guilt of the murder on top of that for the rest of her life. There are numerous stories out there of courageous young women who gave birth to their babies and gave them up for adoption after rape and found healing and the ability to forgive in the process. Consider some of the people that were conceived in rape. Former Fox and Friends co-host Kelly Wright, Jesse Jackson, seven-time champion surfer Lana Beachley, actor Martin Sheen's wife Janet, Miss Pennsylvania, Valerie Gatto, and Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt's adopted daughter, Zahara. Listen to the words of pro-life activist Rebecca Kiesling 
a woman who was the product of rape. And I quote, When you make that rape an exception for an abortion, it's like you're saying to me that I deserve the death penalty for the crimes of my father. According to the U.S. Supreme Court, my father didn't even deserve the death penalty. The Supreme Court has said that there is no death penalty for rapists, but you say that I, as the innocent child of rape, deserve the death penalty. To argue further my point that God is the defender of women, I would like to point to the ways in which Jesus revolutionized how women were to be treated. In John 8, he does not condemn the woman that's caught in adultery, but rather forgives her and turns on her accusers. In Matthew 19, he goes after the religious leaders who wanted to divorce their wives for any and every reason, therefore leaving them destitute and without support. And in Matthew 5, he revolutionizes thought life by expanding the definition of adultery and fornication to including how a man looks upon a woman and thinks of her in his heart. In fact, Jesus did more for women in the three years of his ministry than had ever done by anyone before and has ever been done since. And so once again, we see that it is the devil who wants to destroy lives through rape and then kill the babies that come as a result. Next, we see the war on women seeks to discriminate against women in the workplace. There is no question that there's been a great discrepancy between what men and women make in the workplace as pay. And so, the reason for this comes down to one word, greed. Employers have taken advantage of women who were willing to work for less because of their desperate situations. And I am in complete agreement that this needs to change. As a man whose wife is working, and as a son whose mother had to work to support eight kids, Equal pay for equal work should be the norm. But we live in a corrupted world, and I feel that the best way for this to change is for us as Christians to set the precedent, to be an example of those who do this, who pay equally for equal work. And I'm going to talk about an area that I think is kind of the elephant in the room, education. 75% of teachers are women in America. And they are some of the lowest paid in regard to the amount of education that's necessary to get the job across the board. It's a shame. And we here at Elam have a preschool. We should be setting the precedent, and now this is a little self-serving because I have a wife who's a teacher at the preschool. But... It's a precedent that we need to set, an example that we need to set, that we are looking at those teachers, those who are dealing with our children and working with kids and raising them up as very valuable, an extremely valuable asset. And so we need to set the example. Proverbs 31 describes an ideal wife. In verse 17 and 18, it says, She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She's a working woman. She's putting in labor for her family. In Luke 8, it's actually the women who are praised by Jesus as supporting his ministry. 
says some uh, women who were with Jesus, who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from her seven demons had come out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. And also women continued to be the key providers in regard to the new church as these disciples were going out. And so clearly the devil has been at work trying to put us at odds against one another over greed. This is an issue that should be a non-issue among Christians. We should be the first ones to be giving equal pay for equal work by recognizing the value of human beings across the board. The next issue we see is that the Warren Women seeks to cut assistance to needy women. The desire to cut programs that assist needy women has been another part of the attack on Warren Women in general. This one actually becomes, I believe, an accusation for the church that we need to take seriously. What has really happened is that we have asked the federal government to do something that communities and churches should be doing. We're supposed to be the ones who are caring for orphans and widows. And by the way, a child back in the day, if they were abandoned by a deadbeat dad, they were called orphans when their father left. And we have many, many deadbeat dads out there today. My dad, of one, which was one, he did not pay a penny of child support my entire time growing up, and he left when I was four. And so I can, I can say firsthand that I experienced the need for welfare. We lived on welfare. I lived on government cheese and all of those different things that we received from the government for many years. But that's not where it should come from. Anytime the government takes over things that private citizens and church-going people should be doing, it's going to be a disaster. And the reason it's a disaster is because in a community, there's accountability, right? If we have somebody that's among us, we know them, we see them, we've seen their pain, we've been to their house, we see their lack of food, and we then can reach out to them. But in the government, it's so big, you can't do that. You can't keep account. And so I think many of the problems we see in the welfare system today are because we are not taking responsibility for what we should be doing. And next we see that the war on women seeks to continue to uphold the differences between the sexes. Instead of celebrating the differences between men and women, the radical feminist movement has deduced that if gender is erased, then all other issues will take care of themselves. And this is why we see a movement toward unisex things in our society. Clothing, haircuts, fragrances, all of these things, bathrooms, right? And again, we smell the sulfur behind it because Lucifer wants to destroy and grossly alter anything that is beautiful and blessed by the Heavenly Father. And the sexes, the genders, are blessed by God. They're beautiful and to be celebrated. One of the very first statements that was made about mankind in Genesis 1.27 was, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Notice here that the image of God is reflected in both the sexes. 
There's something about God that can only be seen in the masculine. There's something about God that can only be seen in the feminine. And when we eliminate that beauty, we start to diminish the image of God in humanity. And so again, we are fighting against the devil. In conclusion, this is the point. It's not a fight between the left and the right. It's not a fight between the feminists and the fundamentalists. It's a fight between God and Satan. A fight between the truth and the lie. And by the way, I would encourage you, as you're involved in the political process, don't swallow the entire platform of your particular brand of politics. Don't swallow the entire Republican platform. Don't swallow the entire Democratic platform. Look at the issues individually. Look at individuals who are running for office and how they stand on biblical issues. The Bible is our standard. Not the opinion of man. Men are fallible, and they always will be, including myself. Don't believe me. Go back to the Bible and look for yourself. And so before you slander those on either side of the issue, remember Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're fighting the devil. He wants to kill us all. He wants to keep us separated. Because if we're fighting against one another, we can't spread the gospel. We can't bring the good news to people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this day for mothers. And as we see this battle in Roe v. Wade, it's a battle against motherhood itself. And Father, there are so many out there that are hurting and suffering, struggling, young women who are pregnant right now, making a decision that's before them. Lord, help us as a church to be the biggest supporters of those situations, helping people, supporting them, encouraging them. And so, Father, we lift this all up in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.